The Blaze Radio Network. On demand. Prepare yourself to ingest current events, pop culture, and politics with a side of Latin flair. Vices. I don't have to show you any stinking vices. This is the Chris Salcedo Show on the Blaze Radio Network. Well, 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 a poop storm (laughs) that has been uh, stirred up as America decides, you know, our economy is different than it was 50 years ago, and liberals are losing their minds because we're we're introducing the idea of a merit-based system to enter the country. And if you want to make liberals' head explode, talk about uh, about merit-based stuff, <laughs> and their heads will explode. There is a there is an uh, right now. Um, who is this? I know I should know this guy. This is one of the, the Trump administration folks uh, talking about this policy now that we want to have a merit-based immigration system, a point system. And getting into a back and forth with uh, somebody the New York Times, I'm going to try to get this file downloaded in the time it takes me to introduce the show, folks. And hopefully we'll be able to um, to get that on so you can hear it. It's fascinating to me. Uh, where the left wing, uh, represented by the New York Times, and where common sense, pro-American first policies are. Glad you made it, everybody, the Chris Salcedo Show, and I'm glad you've tuned in. And yes, America's government, it's a breaking news. America's government is now putting American citizens first rather than the citizens of the world. <gasps> Shocker. 800 uh, at 888-900-3393. 888-900-3393. That's the uh, phone number here to the Chris Salcedo Show. Blaze. Dot com. Make sure you find us on the channel section. Social media. If you want to get in touch on Twitter, at Chris Salcedo TX on Facebook, The Chris Salcedo Show. SoundCloud, iTunes, Stitcher for on-demand listening, listening live, blaze.com slash radio, and the Blaze Radio smartphone app and the iHeartRadio app. Let me just, uh, because this is all happening kind of on the fly, ladies and gentlemen, uh, as this is going on mere moments before I got onto the, onto the air, and th- this this would have been in the flip around had we gone on the air ooh, two minutes early. But this was moments ago as member. And again, I should know this guy. What is his name? Miller. Uh, he is talking from the White House podium, taking questions from the press about this about this new policy. Uh, Tell me why this is more important than infrastructure. Well, your latter statement isn't true. I think the most recent study I would point to is the study from George Borjas that he just did about the Muriel boat lift. And he went back and re-examined and opened up the old data and talked about how it actually did reduce wages for workers who were living there at the time. And Borjas has, of course, done enormous amounts of research on this, as has the... Uh, Peter Kersenow on the U.S. Civil Rights Commission, as has Steve Camerata at the Center for Immigration Studies, and so on and so forth. And and the recent study said that as much as $300 billion a year may be lost as a result of our current immigration system in terms of folks drawing more public benefits than they're paying in. So basically what he's saying is, is the economy has changed in the last 50 years. And this idea of allowing folks to come from all over the globe to plug into our entitlement system right away has got to stop. It must stop. Uh, I'm going to get back to this because this exchange with the New York Times 
reporter is fascinating. But let's get to the rest of the flip around. All of the cable channels are are focused on this. Let me bring you in real time right now. The White House, and we'll go to Fox. And this is what uh, they are talking about over there, which is, of course, the, this, this was rolled out today, the Raise Act. And it is a focus on, as you guys can guess, putting a merit-based system in for immigration. And here comes Fox. That over the last seven years, there's been a negative flow of immigration across the southern border. And, of course, unemployment is at perhaps a 10-year low right now. So will there be enough workers in the southwest states if this policy were to go into effect? Well, yeah, so I think we're talking about different things, and I appreciate the question. Net migration overall has been at a record pace. The um, You're talking, I think, just about some questions about net migration illegally across the southern border. We're talking today about green card policy. Every year we issue a million more green cards. This is Stephen Miller, by the way, White House policy advisor. Year after year. And so the supply of foreign labor is at a record high. I think the foreign-born population right now is 45 million. I think there's 25 million foreign workers in the United States. And not to mention the H-1B visas, which allow companies like Disneyland to bring in foreign workers to replace their American-born workers because the American-born workers need much more money to make ends meet. Because there is ongoing litigation, and DOJ and DHS are reviewing that. But I will say that whatever we do is going to prioritize the interests of American citizens and workers. David Zoe Daniel from Australian yes. Broadcasting. You've talked about the Australian policy. Can you speak more specifically about what the administration likes and also how that extends into things like family sponsorship? You mentioned bringing in elderly relatives, for example, who might not be productive. Yet in Australia, adult children can sponsor their parents to immigrate. So which elements of the policy are you choosing that you might like? Right. So we looked at system, the Canadian system. We took things we liked. We added things that made sense for America and where we are as a country right now. One of the things that I think is most compelling about the Australian system is the efforts to make sure that immigrants are financially self-sufficient and make sure they're able to pay for their own health care. That is vitally important so that America's already bloated entitlement system isn't exploited by the world's impoverished. Now, liberals would say it's America's responsibility to take care of every impoverished person uh, all over the world, the American taxpayer. But there's just not enough resources to go around here in the United States. So we've got to prioritize and insist that our own citizens uh, partake in that. And then, you know, even our own citizens, we have to scale back on the entitlements. So amounts of money, putting our own workers on welfare, doesn't it make sense economically to say, let's get our own workers, immigrant and U.S. born, off of welfare into the labor market, earning a living wage, able to pay into taxes, instead of bringing in lower wage substitutes, while at the same time ensuring that the inventors, the innovators, and the scientists are able to come into our country and add to our economy and our GDP, but not as substitutes for Americans. NBC. Thank you so much. Can you respond to some of the critics within your own party who say what we really should be focused on is comprehensive immigration reform in order to really tackle the problem in a serious way? And secondly, what do you say to those who say this just... Wait a minute. Let me answer this one. Uh, the Congress can't even pro uh, fulfill a promise with Obamacare. What makes you think they're going to be able to do comprehensive immigration reform? They are able who are, have pending... Oh, and by the way, when you hear the word comprehensive run like hell, it means America's getting screwed. Forward. Point one. And point two is that beyond the immediate 
family members that are covered in the veil, i.e. your minor children and your, um, and your spouses. Your other relatives can come in. They just have to come in through the point space system. Uh, and then your other, your first part of your question. Comprehensive immigration reform. Some Republicans say we should be focused on comprehensive immigration reform instead of a sliver uh, of the problem in order to really address the broader root problem of immigration. Well, Why not tackle it from that? Side? Let me ask you a hypothetical, and I mean it in all sincerity. If let's say that we had introduced a 2,000-page comprehensive immigration reform bill, would we be having this conversation today about green card policy? I suspect we wouldn't be. I think it's time that we forced the conversation onto this core issue. I know the president feels that it's enormously advantageous to have a conversation about this core aspect of immigration reform because it does receive so little discussion and yet it's so enormously important. Follow up. Let's go to you. Thank you, Steve. Thanks. Uh, you mentioned the lawmakers have a choice to make. President Trump going to make this again? Yeah, I can't hear the question. So, you know, this is, yeah, let me, let me say a word or two about comprehensive immigration reform. There was a monstrosity, a so-called bipartisan uh, comprehensive immigration reform bill inside of the United States Senate. And the likes of John McCain and, and others had partaken in it. And what comprehensive means is that it's so bloated, so wordy, that no common American has a, a snowball's chance in hell of understanding it. And that's the point. And it's loaded up with pork, and it's loaded up with carve-outs, and it's loaded up with, with garbage that's designed to disadvantage the American citizen in favor of, uh, well, let's, let's just be quite frank, corporate interests. Who, because of government, have been forced to cut back on the only other arena they can afford to cut back on, which is labor. So, comprehensive immigration reform is another way of saying immensely complicated, immensely huge, no prayer of understanding, Obamacare-like packages of law that are designed to be so convoluted and so uh, not understandable that the American people don't have a prayer of sorting through it. So let's put the kibosh on this whole idea of comprehensive immigration reform. And let's deal with immigration reform that the American people want. Not what the special interests want, not what Lindsey Graham wants, not what John McCain or Nancy Pelosi want, but what the American people want. And what the American people want is an immigration system that is fair to the American people, equitable to the American people, doesn't undermine the American citizen's ability to get work, doesn't undermine the American citizen's ability to uh, support their family, and does not, does not replace the American worker with cheaper foreign-born workers. Now, I, I love to hear those who say, well, you're not a free market guy. Oh, most certainly I am. If, if the Congress would pass legislation that would force every other nation to be just like America and to impose on American citizens, 
I'm sorry, on the citizens of their country, the same burdens that the Americans have, which is, of course, entitlements and all that kind of garbage. And if they if they could introduce a bill that would level the playing field and make it so that American citizens were on par with foreign born citizens. Obligations and financial. Financial and otherwise, then maybe we could talk. But the pure fact of the matter is that the nations of the world are not on a level playing field. And we ought not construct policy on the assumption that they are. That's a wrong assumption. Back in a minute, folks. Chris Salcedo show after a roaring start on this, what is it, Wednesday already? Chris Salcedo show here on The Blaze. Keep up with The Chris Salcedo Show on Facebook and on Twitter at Chris Salcedo TX. Just another way to stay in touch with Chris on the Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo Show. Oh, this is too good. Hold on. A, a historical in another respect, too, which is if you look at the history of immigration, it's actually ebbed and flowed. We've had periods of very large waves, followed by periods of less immigration and more immigration. And during the... We're had a period of immigration right now. The yeah, wants to hey, look, everybody, it's Jim Acosta. He's getting his, uh, his FaceTime. I think that a wall affects green card policy. You couldn't possibly believe that, do you? Actually, the notion that you actually think immigration is at a historic wall, the foreign-born population in the United States today, Jim, Jim, talking about how border crossings. Do you really? Hey, who elected Jim Acosta? Not know the difference between green card policy and illegal immigration. I mean, you really don't know that. He came to this country in 1962, right before the Cuban Missile Crisis, and obtained a green card. Yes, people who immigrated to this country eventually. People who so Jim, as a factual question, Jim, as a factual question, boy, Jim Acosta does love some Jim Acosta, doesn't he? And yes, they may learn English as a second language later on in life, so, but, but this, whole, this whole notion of, well, they could learn, you know, they have to learn English before they get to the United States, are we just going to... This is embarrassing. Britain and Australia? Jim, as actually, I have to honestly say, I am shocked at your statement that you think that only people from Great Britain and Australia would know English. It's actually, it reveals your cosmopolitan uh, bias to a shocking degree ah. that in your mind, no, this is an amazing, this is an amazing this moment. This is brilliant. This is an amazing moment that you think only people from Great Britain or Australia ah. would speak English. It's ah. so insulting to millions of ah. hardworking immigrants who ah. do speak English from all over the world. Oh. Have you honestly, Jim, have you honestly never met a an immigrant from another country who speaks English outside of Great Britain and Australia? Is that your personal experience? Of course there are people who come Jim Acosta! What a putz this guy is! It's like you're trying to engineer the racial and ethnic flow of people into this country. Jim, that is one of the most outrageous, insulting, ignorant, and foolish things you've ever said, and for you that's still a really... The, the notion that you think that this is a racist bill is so wrong and so insulting. Jim, the reality is is that the foreign-born population into our country has quadrupled since 1970. That's a fact. It's been mostly driven by green card policy. Now, this bill allows for immediate nuclear family members to come into the country, much as they would today, 
and then it adds an additional points-based system. <laughs> the people who've been hurt the most, the people who've been, the people who've been, the people who've been, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy you're advocating are apparently just unfettered, uncontrolled migration. The people who've been hurt the most by the policy, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy that you're, the people who've been hurt the most by the policy you're advocating are immigrant workers and minority workers and African-American workers and Hispanic workers. Are you targeting African-American no communities now? You brought it up again. You said you wanted to have a conversation and not target. Is it going to be a target? This is what we want to do. Using the African-American community, are you going to target? I'm not trying to be funny. Right. And I know what you're saying. What you're saying is 100% correct. We want to help unemployed African Americans in this country and unemployed workers of all backgrounds get jobs. And oh, that was April. What's her name? Trying to ascribe nefarious motives to a compassion immigration measure designed to help newcomers and current arrivals alike is wrong. And this is a positive, optimistic proposal that says 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, 10 years, 20 years, 30 years from now, we want to have an immigration system that takes care of the people who are coming here and the people who are already living here by having standards, by having a real clear requirement that you be able to support yourself financially, by making sure that employers can pay a living wage. That's the right policy for our country, and it's the president's commitment to taking care of American workers. I apologize, Jim, if things got heated, but you did make some pretty rough insinuations. So thank you. Thank you. I, you know, Jim Acosta is such a putz. He really is a putz. And he really is an effete, elite moron who, again, here we are, televised press briefing, and he just got into a back and forth, taking the left-wing position, and had what you guys didn't hear was Jim Acosta, his, his original question was about the poem at the base of the Statue of Liberty. And what Mr. Miller pointed out to him was, Jim, you do realize that's not law, right? You, you understand that the laws are actually made in the Congress, not in a poem at the base of the Statue of Liberty. And then he asked, and, and again, I, I can't turn the audio around fast enough, folks, to get it out to you. And then he said, Jim, there have been times in American history where we've had a limit of a half a million people. There have been times when we've had uh, a limit of 700 uh, million people. There have been times when, when the numbers have fluctuated. Tell me, Jim Acosta, which number is the appropriate number to allow folks in? This elitist prig, P-R-I-G, Jim Acosta, an embarrassment to journalism as he once again inserted himself and made himself the story as if he's some sort of policymaker. A note to CNN. A note to CNN. Nobody elected you. Nobody cares what your opinion is, CNN. And Jim Acosta was injecting his opinion all over the heck there in the White House briefing room. And again, to Jim Acosta, nobody gives a damn what your opinion is. You're supposed to be a news guy. You might want to go back and learn what that means. I could teach you. Come on the program. 
The Chris Salcedo Show. We'll be right back. The Blaze Radio Network. Chris Salcedo is on the Blaze Radio Network. It wasn't as entertaining as little Jimmy Acosta showing his bias and showing uh, what he prefers as far as illegal immigration. But uh, an exchange that uh, Mr. Miller had with a New York Times reporter was equally, uh, equally entertaining. But let's also use common sense here, folks. At the end of the day, why do special interests want to bring in more low-skilled workers? And why historically... I'm not asking for common sense. I'm asking for specific... Well, I think it's very clear, Glenn, that you're not asking many, for common how, sense. How but how if, I could just answer, if I could just answer your question... <laughs> yes, it's very clear the New York Times isn't looking for common sense. He wants some sort of study, which, you know, if you all know, you can buy a study to say anything you want it to say. He wants statistical data that shows that people coming in from other countries. Oh, man, you should see the body language of these people in the press corps. <laughs> so, so deflated to see their left wing agenda being shot down. I named, I named, I named the studies, Glenn. Glenn, Glenn, Glenn. I named the studies. I named the studies. I asked you for a statistic. Can you tell Glenn, me how many... The, how maybe many, we'll make a carve-out in the bill that yeah. says the New York Times can hire all the low-skilled, less-paid workers they want from other countries and see uh, how you feel then about low-wage substitution. Yeah, let's start, let's, let's start hiring uh, New York Times uh, writers from abroad and kicking this Glenn guy <laughs> out of a job. Let's see how much he likes it then. Hey, liberal progressives are worldwide there, Glenn Boy. The New York Times. <laughs> Left-wing biased hacks uh, make a living all over the world. We can import them. They probably work for a lot less than you do. This is a reality that's happening in our country. Now, maybe it's time we had compassion, Glenn, for American workers. President Trump has met with American workers who've been replaced by foreign workers. And ask, ask them... Ask them how this has affected their lives. Yeah, I, I don't think the New York Times does much asking about the average everyday American and what they think about immigration. Look at, I, I just told you. Low-skilled jobs that Americans might otherwise have. The, I mean, if you look, first, first of all, if you look at the, if you look at the premise, Glenn, of bringing in low-skilled labor, it's based on the idea that there's a labor shortage for lower-skilled jobs. There isn't. The number of people living in the United States in the working ages who aren't working today is at a record high. That's a great point. And it's, and it's what Jim Acosta in the New York Times, our reporter Glenn, uh, wouldn't admit that the current immigration policy is not about fulfilling an American economic need. It's about getting as many people from other countries, preferably left-wing countries, with left-wing sensibilities, to get them in here so they can start voting Democrat as soon as humanly possible. That's the agenda. Get rid of all these people who, who bleed red, white, and blue. There is... I've got sound bites 
from Tucker, Car- Tucker Carlson's show where some nut guy, some nutball out in California says that, that California is getting rid of its middle class so it can, uh, so it can make room for illegals. <laughs> I kid you not. Uh, th- this is the agenda of the White House press corps. This is the agenda of the American left. Getting rid of uh, pro-American folks and ushering in a whole bunch of uh, anti-American folks. One in four Americans, or almost one in four Americans between the ages of 25 and 54 aren't even employed. For African-American workers, their labor force participation rate who don't have a high school diploma, I guess African-American males without a high school diploma, has plummeted some 40 percentage points since the mass wave of unskilled migration began. The reality is that if you just use common sense, and yes, I will use common sense, the reason why some companies want to bring in more unskilled labor is because they know that it drives down wages and reduces labor costs. Our question as a government is, to whom is our duty? Our duty is to U.S. citizens and U.S. workers to promote rising wages for them. If low-skilled immigration was an unalloyed good for the economy, now why have we been growing at 1.5% for the last 17 years at a time of unprecedented new low-wage arrivals? It's just the facts speak for themselves. At some point, we're accountable to reality. On the other hand, like I said, you have ultra-high-skilled workers who are at the back of the line, which makes no sense in the year 2017. Neil, let me go to you. Now targeting African-American males. You just brought up the African-American males. You're now targeting the black unemployment rate that is traditionally and historically higher than the average American. Is that what you're looking at? There's no doubt, and I'll go to Neil, but there's no doubt, and it's very, very sad and very unfair. Yeah, that was, uh, I think that was April, what's her name again? Anyhow, uh, so this is what is breaking today. And you know what? I guess we're just lucky here on the Chris Salcedo Show where all this stuff, in particular at the White House press briefing, and and you know, Jim Acosta was raising his hand again. (laughs) He wanted to get called on again. Could be the Jim Show. The Jim Acosta Show there at the White House. Boy, he does love to hear himself talk. Doesn't he? Um... So yeah, I might as well play these sound bites now since I already brought them up. Cal Exit. These are the secessionists out there in California. Uh, goes on Tucker's show. And they talk about getting rid of the middle class to make room for them illegals. You've so mismanaged your little country or state or whatever we're calling it now. Economically, there's been a massive exodus of middle class Californians to neighboring states. Well, I mean, the numbers are, the numbers are there. I mean, you've lost hundreds of thousands of people making between a hundred and two hundred thousand dollars over the past ten years, and they've enriched Idaho and Montana and even Wyoming and Washington State. Like, if it's such a well-run place, why are why is the middle class leaving? So, Tucker, you you have to look at the bigger picture here. So, uh, fifth largest economy in the world. Now, if you have to repeat that, say it again. We are the fifth largest economy in the world. Yeah, that's- well, I don't. Uh, sixth. I think, uh, you know, he might be talking as of second quarter. But when you do a year-to-year analysis, I think California is sixth largest economy in the world. That That's the third time, fine. I guess. No, no, but I mean, it's no. basically the economy of Mexico. You've got a small number of rich people, the tech people, and you've got a ton of poor people, and the middle class is leaving. Like, that's a recipe for instability. You're aware of that, right? The, in, in regards to the middle class leaving, uh, that's actually a, a good thing. 
Um, we, we, need, we need these spots opened up for the new wave of, of immigrants to come up. So, yeah, new wave of immigrants. Now, you know, that's when they say immigrants, uh, they mean illegals. That's, that, that, that's part of the liberal lexicon. This is how they cloud the issue. Uh, they just lump illegals, illegals, uh, all in the same bucket. Which, of course, there's a, a, gr- a great difference between the two. But this guy wasn't done. It's what we do. We're exporting our middle class to the United States. You guys should be thanking us for that. Not only that, you know, when our middle class does move out to Texas and to Colorado, they're taking our values out to the United States and, and to Texas. So if you look at Texas, in fact, all the major cities that, that Californians are, are, are going to, they are turning blue. And soon enough, Texas will be a blue state. <laughs> and, uh, Dude. All of your, the red <laughs> states soon enough. Uh, I don't know. I don't know if this blue. is like a... I, I've never met you. I've never heard of you. I don't know if this is like a parody segment. You're, you know, you're punking me or you're really high and you're just telling the truth because high people do. But you just said you're happy to be exporting the middle class of your state. Now, I happen to think that your policymakers are happy that they're leaving. But the fact that you're admitting this on live TV, I, I, bottom line, are you being yeah, serious? Well, it- I'm, I'm only admitting the truth. Our middle, the, there's a middle class of people that are leaving California and yeah. they're going to Oregon and Colorado right. and, and Texas. Yes, there is. Um, and you're happy about I that. don't know how. Well, I mean, if they want to move, I'm, there's nothing for me to stop them. I mean, mm-hmm. uh, I'm, I'm sure they'll find out how boring it is and they'll come back. Oh, yes, yes. Well, you see, the folks who leave California are those conservative-minded, those who uh, want to get a better... Uh, return on their labor. Those who have grown tired of illegal alien felons being put above American citizens. Those who want to see the rule of law followed. Those who want to see their dollars go farther and not gobbled up by government. And those tend to be independents or right-leaning folks. Leftists don't leave California. Leftists love it in California. The very rich or the very poor. Only Here's this word again. Common sense, common sense folks are leaving California because they have, they have to go to a, a place where their, their dollar is stretched further and where freedom and liberty reigns. <laughs> I, I don't mean, think I so. don't know, but if they choose so. to live out there, they can live out like, there. Right, yeah. Okay. Ama- what an amazing interview. Thank you. So, and I sincerely thank you. No, I, I, I agree. Thank you. This is how they think. In places like California, we're going to drive out our middle class so we can replace them all with illegals. <laughs> just, you can't make this stuff up. I'll be right back, folks. It's your radio republic. Be heard. 888-900-3393. This is the Chris Salcedo Show, part of Generation Blaze on the Blaze Radio Network. The Chris Salcedo Show. Donald Trump also signed today the uh, the sanctions against the countries of Russia, against the uh, country of China, and against the country of, uh, not China, North Korea. <laughs> All intents and purposes, China. Uh, North Korea and Iran. And the sanctions package, according to The Hill, was signed with a, a stern wagging of the finger by the president. Now, we kind of we kind of backed the Congress on this one only because 
when they put sanctions on Iran, they didn't put this clause in there and Barack Obama came in and unilaterally lifted it for his buddies over there, the Ayatollah Khomeini, and uh, made sure they got billions in American taxpayer dollars and paved the way for them to get nukes. And he did that right when the sanctions were starting to bite and really harm Iran. Showing where his loyalties lied, of course. So the Congress at least learned their lesson and not giving the executive that type of flexibility. Although Donald Trump's saying, look, I need that flexibility to be a good negotiator, but they said no. So he signed it into law. Now this brings me to this exchange yesterday where the White House was being asked to weigh in on another anonymously sourced Washington Post story that Donald Trump actually dictated to Donald Trump Jr. his first press release about the Russian lawyer. The statement that Don Jr. issued is true. There's no inaccuracy in the statement. The president weighed in as any father would based on the limited information that he had. Uh, This is all discussion, frankly, of no consequence. There was no follow-up. It was disclosed to the proper parties, which is how the New York Times found out about it to begin with. The Democrats want to continue to use this as a PR stunt and are doing everything they can to keep this story alive and in the papers every single day. The president, the American people, they voted America first, not Russia first, and that's the focus of our administration. John? Can you clarify the degree to which the president waited? Uh, he didn't. He certainly didn't dictate, but, you know, he, like I said, he weighed in, offered suggestion like any father would do. So he, uh, again, I, I don't think this is, this is still much ado about nothing. Uh, gave suggestions, and what what they're trying to say is, because there were three iterations of the press release, which, by the way, every release was factually correct. It just didn't include the the part in the first release that the that opposition research was being offered to the Trump campaign. That's the only thing they didn't include. Everything else was true. Uh, Sarah Huckabee then blasted the biased press, read them the riot act on their unfair reporting. And this is, she is quickly becoming one of my favorites. She did it in a measured tone, but she hit them right where it hurts, where they don't report. Uh, I will follow up on that. Was he aware at the time that uh, Don Jr. had had a meeting that was based on the pretext that he would be promised information that was negative about Hillary Clinton when he suggested that the statement only say that the meeting was primarily about Russian adoption policy? Like I said, the statement that was issued was true and there were no inaccuracies in the statement. I think what the bigger question is, everybody wants to try to make this some story about misleading. The only thing I see misleading is a year's worth of stories that have been fueling a false narrative about this Russia collusion. That's right. We have been over a year now of FBI investigation, and there is no proof of any Russia collusion. Then they wanted to get obstruction of justice charges on on President Trump by firing a guy he had every ability to fire by the name of James Comey, who assured the president, as he testified before Congress, on three separate occasions, the president wasn't the target of any investigation. So how could he be obstructing justice if he wasn't the target? 
which is the allegation being made by Democrats. The reason why Comey was fired was to protect Trump from being found out that he was colluding with Russia. It's utter nonsense. And based on a phony scandal, based on anonymous sources. And I, I think that is, if we're going to talk about misleading, that's the only thing misleading I see in this entire process. Like you that. guys are focused uh, on a meeting that Don Jr. had no consequence uh, when the Democrats actually colluded with a foreign government like Ukraine. The Democrat-linked firm Fusion GPS actually took money from the the Russian government while it created the phony dossier that's been the basis for all of the Russia scandal fake news. And if you want to talk further about a relationship with Ro Russia, look no further than the Clintons, as we've said time and time again. Bill Clinton was paid half a million dollars. Now, somebody in the background saying, well, Clinton's not president. Uh, as if the press was eager to report on this stuff when she was Secretary of State working for a Democrat extremist president, Barack Obama. This is The Chris Salcedo Show. Part of the next generation of talk radio. This is the Blaze Radio Network. <laughs>